arrogant healthcare marketing bastards were podcasting live from Shishmid 2013 in Chicago, September 29th to October 1st. Now, over the next several weeks, we'll be rebroadcasting those sessions alongside our weekly podcast. If you are subscribed in iTunes or through RSS, you'll receive the episodes automatically. Otherwise, visit thinkinterval.com or follow Interval Crew on Twitter for notification of our new shows. In this session, recorded Monday, September 30th, from 3.30 to 4.30 p.m., we speak with Jim Retray, principal of Jim Retray Strategic Marketing, a quick drop-by from Peggy Kane, vice president of business development for GLC, and Warren Johnson, corporate marketing director at MidMichigan Health. Oh, we're live right now as we I talk? We are live. Excellent. Jim, we're live. We're live. Do you want to jump in now? Yeah, one second. Yeah. My son just texted me good luck. So. Oh, really? Is he listening? Did you tell him to listen? Let me see if he, I did. <laughs> awesome. Well, he's, he's, if he's listening, he's hearing us right now talk to you. It's, this is like blowing my mind. The, the, the feedback loop is complete. This is making it all worth it. It is. Right here. Okay, so Jim, two rules. The first is when you speak, try to speak close to the mic as you can. They actually do a really good job of picking up people and not the background, but right. it helps to be right up in there. Don't be afraid of it. And then two, just tell everybody who you're at. So first of all, let me introduce what we're doing here. We are in session two of Monday's podcasting sessions at Shishmid 2013. In Chicago. Arrogant, in Chicago, Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Ambassadors podcast. Chris Bevelo. Robert Prevo. And we have our, fir- our first guest, our first and only guest for session two, Jim. Jim Matray. So tell us, tell us your background. Give us, let people know who you are. Yeah, well, I am one of the uh, the veterans in healthcare marketing. I've been around for a number of decades. And by the way, before I get started, uh, <laughs> my son is listening from Philadelphia, and he just said, "Hey guys, have a great time." So, okay, so awesome. what's your son's name? Tim. Tim, how old is he? Tim is twenty. He's twenty. What does he like to do? He is uh, studying uh, journalism and screenwriting at Drexel University. Nice. He's really, he's a phenomenal writer, and so just a shout out to Tim. Does he like to play video games? Uh, yes, he does. Excellent. I'm a huge video game fan. What's your favorite? What's his favorite? Do you know? Uh, you know, I, he's going to kill me in this one, but I, but probably Grand Theft Auto Five. Oh, so he hasn't <laughs> so he, got it yet. But no, he he got it on day one, the launch. He got it at midnight. He was right there. Really? I wonder if he's played Saints Row Four. I bet if he's a Grand Theft Auto guy, he's played uh, that. I'm sure we're going to get a text in just a minute, and we'll know the, <laughs> we'll know the answer. To that. <clears throat> but but uh, yeah, thanks for the shout out. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been involved for quite a long time. I've been a member of Shushmid, um, a number of the local and regional uh, associations. I've worked for health systems large and small, uh, and now I'm on my own, uh, working as a marketing and branding and communications consultant. Oh, so that's, a, that's really exciting to kind of go out and be able to take uh, what I've learned and what I do and bring it to a lot of different people. Yeah, yeah. So based out of Philly? No, I'm based out of Rhode Island. Oh, he's that, based out of Philly. You're he's based in out Philly. Of Rhode Island. Yeah, he's, okay. you know, Rhode Island's Drexel, a tiny right. little state that not too many people have heard of, and <laughs> maybe Island. you drove through it pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Providence. Yeah. Yeah. Rhode Island. Yeah. Well, we're actually on the other side of the state. And so okay. Sarah Palin says she can see Alaska from, uh, from, from uh, Russia from her house. I can see Connecticut. You can see nice, Connecticut. Nice. Okay. Very nice. So, so tell us more about your new consultancy. What are you doing with that? Yeah. So right now I'm working for a number of clients, uh, a lot of social media stuff and some of the things you would have uh, expected. Um, really looking to help some people also on the culture side within their institutions. You know, uh, and one of the things I know you preach, uh, Chris, is that, you know, branding is not advertising. Branding is the experience. Right, right. 
and, and that's really a huge thing. And one of the things that I'm really very interested in is how can marketing really help drive that experience? Because we have some skills that just, you know, really are pretty incredible. And it doesn't mean we have to be the leaders of this, but we have some skills and tactics that we can bring to the table that are very interesting. You know, that's such a, it's such a um, debate point because I feel the same way. In fact, the second paper I ever wrote, this has got to be 10 years ago, was why marketers should lead the patient experience development process. And I, I think I, I would in the decade that since then, I would change my mind on that. They shouldn't lead it because they can't drive the actual changes needed, but they need to participate because of some of the things you just mentioned, the skill set that I think marketers have. For example, uh, marketers are trained, they should be trained, educational and otherwise, to look at things from the audience member's perspective backwards. And I don't think there's anybody else in healthcare that really thinks that way. Yeah, well, right. I think I think there's a couple of things. I mean, it's certainly we know how to motivate people. You know, right. We we know how to communicate. We know how to get them involved. We know how to engage them. You know, and ultimately, you know, we can get we can move this toward loyalty because that's really where you want to go. Right. And that that's our ultimate goal. Jim, what do you see as some of the the biggest barriers to getting the marketing people at that table? Because it seems like you know I've worked in a health system and, and trust is such a huge one. There's always that friction between, or sometimes that friction between operations and marketing right so as you in your experiences what have you seen as some of those those things you can get over that yeah and I've been very fortunate in my entire career that every place I've worked there's been a wonderful relationship and trust between all the the parts of the organization and marketing and and the public relations communications whatever it might be called Mm -hmm. at your institution Um, but ultimately it really needs to be seen as a strategic service it's not a service it's a strategic service Mm -hmm. and so there are skills that we have you know really you know learning how to communicate when I when I think about uh, the issues that patients are having with uh, their experience, it really all boils down to communication. And it might be that they don't know what's going on, they're in the dark, um, so just a few more words to them right, goes right. a long, long way. Right. I, you know, I've often said, I've unfortunately had enough healthcare experiences I can speak to this. I think the worst thing about the healthcare experience, the inpatient particularly, but it happens outpatient as well, is just the... The situations where there's the unknown, right? And so a classic example of this, and Robert, you and I have talked about it, is when you're an inpatient and, you, and you've been told, first of all, you, you don't know when the heck you're getting out. For whatever it is, usually you're not sure. And they'll, it, they're very vague. And so, But maybe you've been told that, okay, it's Tuesday, tomorrow you're going to get to go. So you wake up Wednesday, yes, you're going to get to go, but so-and-so doctor has to check you out, blah, blah, blah. And literally, you could be there the entire day. Yeah. And nobody's telling you, are, are they coming? Are they not coming? What the? It is the worst thing ever. You know, you set up expectations. Uh, one of the talks I just went to this uh, earlier today was Cleveland Clinic talking about their online patient panels that they do. And one of the uh, surveys that they did was about healthcare terminology. And all the things that we take for granted and say every day, you know, continuum of care was one that was brought up. Does do, the, do patients know what that means? What does that mean? So, so they did this. They did the survey, and it turned out that only fifty percent of the people on their panel knew what that meant. Right. Some people thought it meant, well, you know, you're going to take care of me from the beginning to the end. That's a continuum, or right. something. It's going to be, you know, you have ten different places, and I can go to all of them. You know, well, it means something different to everybody. So right, we right. need to do a much better job of explaining just what we're doing. Right. Right. Totally. It, it's there's such complexity to. Our industry. I mean, that, that's what's exciting. I think, from our standpoint, from your standpoint, is that there's so many opportunities to make things better, and and it's not something simple like selling ice cream. You know, right? It's wow. 
Well, well you're, you know, you have to remember too that uh, you, there's only one reason that you like to go to a hospital or a doctor is to have a baby. Right. You know. <laughs> right. And, Everything else is you're scared to death, right? You know, it is it is it is probably some of the most frightening and frustrating and standoffish um, Experiences that anybody's gonna have because right. they just don't want to be there now on the other side the healthcare workers We do this every day. It's right. routine, but it's not to them right. and I know this is something everybody's talked about over and over again, but we can't forget that you cannot lose sight of that isn't that amazing though? I mean it is true that as long as I've been in this business and that's only been a decade healthcare that is you're talking about the same crap over and over yet it's still I mean right. it, it just there are organizations that make progress and do a great job but so overall the experiences that the speaker here years ago uh, UE right UE Reinhardt here of UE mm-hmm. it's I can't remember UWE it's like a brilliant healthcare economist his saying was healthcare is like islands of excellence surrounded by the DMV yeah. Right? That's yes. what it is. I mean, you've got like unbelievable clinical excellence surrounded by just horrible experience and service. I, I would bet if you went and surveyed all the hospitals that are here, you know, as a representative sample, that on the, for the most part, the clinical quality, the, there's no problem there. Nobody right. is questioning that. It's all in the experience. Right. right. Totally. But, but it's just, I don't know. It's a hard nut to crack. Right. It's hard to move people to that. It's hard work. That's why I think it's it's really difficult to change that. And, and you know, when we started out, our agency had been around for a while. We decided to focus in healthcare, and the first thing we did was really try to dig in around patient experience. We did a we did a, like a an uninvited audit of the top eleven heart centers in the Twin Cities, and audited what we call the first impression. So just before we even hit the clinical. What, what's the parking lot like? What, what happens if you go to the front desk? What happens if you go to the website? All these things. And it was great, but then what we found was people loved to hear about it, but nobody, and this is 10 years ago, knew how to engage in it or, or you know, we don't, it's too big. So they just, they just talk about it and then nothing really would change. So we moved quickly away from, it was just too much, it was very painful to try to, and there's others that do a great job with it, but. I don't have the patience. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's really important to to realize that um, you know the physicians are finally getting on board with this. You know, they, yeah. they it, it had been a long time where they just were they went in and they did their thing. But I was in a meeting a number of months ago where all of a sudden a physician stood up and said, "You know, I'm getting it now that the experience my patient has with the receptionist and the billing person when they walk out." is as important as the 10 minutes they're going to spend with me. And you know what? I need to control, whether their word, but I need to control that to make sure it is consistent with the level of service I'm providing. Right. So they're finally getting it. And, you know, and, and as you, health systems become larger, we used to only have to deal with it at the hospital. Right, right. And the doctors dealt with it on their own. But now we're all one. And so is the experience the same at the hospital as it is at the doctor's office? In most places, it's not. Right, right. You know? So if you walk into an Apple store in Chicago or in Boston or in Minneapolis, you'll get exactly the same yeah. experience. It will not be one bit different. But right. if you walk into a hospital or a doctor's office right across the street from each other, it's going to be a completely and, and different And some of world. that's okay. I mean, you just it's never going to be McDonald's, right? It'll never be the Apple store. But there's got to be some standardization of just at minimal levels even yeah. of, at least of experience. Co- at least the communication piece because that's, right, you know, right. I think where the, the breakdown often is, is, you know, the physician doesn't know what's happened before they get there or if they haven't gotten the information they need and that can be frustrating and so tightening up that 
the operational side of communications is huge. Yeah. The the uh, I don't know if it's an analogy or metaphor. I always screw those up. But I've used this for a long time, and actually physicians seem to respond to it. To me, healthcare is not unlike getting your car repaired, right? I most like most people. I don't know anything about how an engine works. If there's something wrong with my car engine, I bring it into the mechanic, and they say they're going to fix it. And so all I can judge from that, from the actual thing I'm there for, is whether it works or not. How they do it, their their technique, their skill, I don't know that. If I drive away and it's still broken, then I know. But otherwise, I'm. how long is this taking? How friendly are you? What's the price? You know, what's the what kind of magazines do you have? Healthcare is the same way. I don't know what you're doing when you're doing surgery on me. I have no idea. I'm asleep, right? So I'm going to evaluate the things I know how to evaluate, like all the things I just mentioned. And so it's hard, though, to get physicians to see that because obviously, first of all, you throw out a car analogy and they're like, well, you know, auto mechanic goes to a two-year school and I went to eight years. He's like, okay, we've already lost you. But it's obviously a different thing, but the concept is the same. But I think the car analogy is actually very apt. And, and here's why, a very personal story. So my father, who he passed away a couple of years ago, but his approach to healthcare was exactly that. Take me to the hospital, have him operate, and I'm gonna go home. And I'm done. Right. I don't need to do another thing. Right. Well, you know what? You do, because right. the fact that you had your, your shoulder operated on and you did not do your physical therapy, Hmm, gee, wonder why you have a frozen shoulder now right. for the rest of your life. Right. So, mm-hmm. so you know, we really—that's where engaging patients comes in. We really have to get them to understand that you know, coming to the hospital, coming to the auto body shop, right, so to right. speak, is only—we're getting you to a certain point. You got to participate here. You got to get your oil changed. You got to you know, check your filter, all that kind of stuff. And it's yeah, more yeah. than just maintenance on your car. I mean, you have to do the regular maintenance, but if you actually had to do physical therapy on your car to coax it, I mean, if right, you have a right, standard right, right. shift and it's really old, you might have to. But right. you know, in healthcare, that's really what it is. It's all about making sure that the patient knows what they need to do, and they're incentivized to do it. Well, that's the trick. How do you do that? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of talk at this at this conference about some of the speakers and how you, you know, the, I think the, I didn't hear him, but the guy who spoke about blue, I always get confused. Blue zones. Blue, blue zones. zones. Yeah. Talked about how it's as much about culture as it is trying to motivate an individual, which I, I get and I believe in, but how do you change a culture? I mean, how do you, I've been through this enough times myself to know I, I'll get on a, a bender where I'm, you know, I'm tracking what I eat and I'm being healthy and all that stuff and then all it takes is like a couple of weeks being off of it and then it's gone yeah. right. how do you stay how do you incent people yeah well I, th- I think obviously that's, that's the holy grail that everybody's looking at and I think we're doing a very good job right now on an individual basis you know a lot of I'm, I'm sitting here wearing an, a Jawbone Up Yes. I use very on, nice. Uh, thank you. On my on my iPhone, I use the Lose It app. I've been using it for that, that's what three, I use too. Three and a half years, and uh, at the beginning, I lost seventy pounds using it, and I've kept it off for three years. You know, so it's been an incentive. It's something I, I track every little thing I eat. Right. And it's a game because I don't ever want to have a red day. I'm going to always have a green See, day. See, and that's how yeah. I was. I was that way for six months, and then I just couldn't. It, you know, all it took was like a vacation. Or I'm like, I'm not tracking my food on vacation. A, because I want to eat what I want to eat. And B, I'm not gonna. I'm here to relax. Yeah. And then you get out of the habit, and then ah, I can't get so, back into it. So, so you know, we're somewhat fanatical about that. But I think we've done a good job in helping people get there. You know, we've taken it a little bit into the community with the biggest right. loser type of programs, right. so that you'll you'll find people, um, communities, for example, hospitals are leading these. You know, how much weight can the whole community lose over a period of time? Right, right. And people get involved with that. It's a game. They like that. 
know, but how do we take that to disease management? Right. Okay? So let's use diabetes as a really great example. Because you have you know, a lot of people suffering from the same thing. And, you know, there's a new concept of shared medical appointments. Right, I've heard about that. Right. So a year ago, I started talking about this at a couple of conferences. And the reactions were, wow, we'll never do that. Right. So I was telling my mother-in-law uh, about it. She lives in Florida. And she said, there's no way I would ever go to a shared medical appointment. I'm not going to be telling my stories to other people that right. I don't know. I said, well, first of all, you do that every day because <laughs> that's what we, you do right, in Florida right. is you talk about your ailments. So you're just doing it with other people who are having exactly the same problem. And gee, might you learn something from that? Right. Mm -hmm. Where I fast forward to my kids who are much more open to crowdsourcing. Right, right, so it's right. Like, you know, Chris, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? Well, I don't know. Let me just, well, I'm going to text and, right. you know, and, and Facebook right. and Yelp and everything else. And next thing you know, they have 50 suggestions and they're ready to go. So I think the key is that people are going to see that not one person has the answer, that a lot of answers are going to spark ideas for other people. Right. So that's where I think we start getting people going. And then it becomes a community and right. you're accountable to somebody because, you know, yeah. I know you, you're my friend now. I owe you to try your idea right, and right. tell you how it right. went. So or you feel guilty that other people are stick, keep, keeping up with it and you're not. I right. mean, there's a, a lot of evidence that shows if you have a network of support, it helps for yeah. sure. We we tried this at our agency just to try it out. I don't even know what happened to it. We, uh, we were like, let's see the power of that and let's all get on the same app. It wasn't Lose It. Uh, it was My Fitness, my fitness Pal. Yeah. And let's also set up individual yeah. goals and we'll... We'll keep each other accountable. We'll keep each other accountable. And it just, it didn't, I mean, I know. because we were, it was forced. That's yeah. why it didn't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah, people need to want to do it. And, yeah. you know, for me it was, I wanted to live healthier, I wanted to have more energy, and I wanted to get off medication. Right, right, right. And, you know, and that worked, and now that I've done it, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, yeah, it becomes a lifestyle change. Those are good incentives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think gamification really is something that has not been tapped yet. You know, no. And, I, and I, I, you know, again, referenced my son earlier on in this apropos because, you know, he lives in a gaming world where there's a lot of competition. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really interesting thing. And so I think we can capture that in healthcare in ways that we haven't even thought of yet. And it's not even, comp it's not just competition. It's also, I mean, I'm a big gamer. And we talk about this on the podcast. Adam's a huge gamer. And we talk about gamification in the sense that it's, it's, there are things built into games that you don't even realize are incenting you. Leveling up is, is an obvious yeah. one. Uh, weapon upgrades, if you play that kind of game. Uh, trophies, badges. There's just layer upon layer, and there is just a little teeny rush from getting the next thing. And, and that's what keeps you playing in so many cases. And most of the time, you're not even playing anybody else. Right. You're just a single player, you're doing it yourself. And if that kind of thing can be built in where it's fun, which it can be, yeah. then yeah, we're, we're not tapping that. I, I know there's, we, we've been talking about how many efforts are going on out there, how much venture capital now is being poured into this very thing. And it'll be interesting to see if anything kind of emerges as the leader. So, so another example of that, the Nike Plus app and the Nike right. GPS watch. So if you're a runner, so I'll go for a run and it, it tracks how far I've gone, where I've gone, but it also tells me, you know, I have a tag to a certain set of shoes. When I hit a certain mile, um, number of miles that I've run, Nike sends me a message that pops up on my screen that says, hey, it might be about time for you to get some new shoes. You've, you've, run, <laughs> yeah. you've run 400 miles. All right, so that's a sales pitch. Right. On the other hand, 
how can healthcare do right. the same thing? Right. That tie into right. some of these apps that already exist and start giving messages Absolutely. that are encouraging, you know, not punitive. And just, I, I think people respond to that positively. Well, we talked about that too in that, in that even if these, because we hear a lot of times we try to work with clients around content marketing and developing these kind of things. And a lot, and a lot of times they bemoan the fact, well, I'm up against Jawbone and I'm up against Fitbit and, and Nike and, and these apps and we can't replicate that. And, and the, the story that made me think of this was there was an article about Weight Watchers. And Weight Watchers has seen their, their membership decline and they blame it on the proliferation of Fitbit mm-hmm. and, and MyFitnessPal and lose it. And my point was, look, those are tools. Weight Watchers has an entire brand around the tool. So if, if you think you're competing against MyFitnessPal, you really are looking at this the wrong way. Healthcare needs to take the same approach. Those tools are simply tools. You can build your expertise and offerings of brand around that and make it far more compelling and rich. For, for the individual. It's local, it's people I know, it's actual people, not just a tool. So to me, those aren't competitions for hospitals and health systems. That's, those are just opportunities. Those are tools waiting to be leveraged. And, and the tools actually have some real benefit down the road, especially for meaningful use, when you think about it. Right, right, because, right. Because you know, these things are collecting data. Right. And these data are really interesting stuff. So if it can live, if it can go real time to my healthcare provider, he doesn't have to look at it in real time, but algorithms can be written so that it'll warn him that, you know, I haven't taken my medication in right. four days. You know, maybe I get a call from a health coach. Right. You know, say, hey, do you need some help? Can I help you? I think the other thing that's changing, going back to your son and crowdsourcing, is the the connection between healthcare and privacy is really embedded in our in our culture, but it certainly is generational. And you see that by people willing to share what they share on Facebook, willing to share what they share in all kinds of other online formats and communities. Yeah. And I think that there is a generational component to that where you know the, the generations that are coming up now are way more comfortable with well, I don't really control my product. I don't control my information. And they haven't seen the negative side of it because the negative side of it is kind of, it's its its this haunting thing that maybe once a generation happens, right? NSA or whatever. But the benefits of that to them are more apparent. So I think that also will usher in more of the kind of like the, it, it, it was amazing when I read that article about the group appointments. Yeah. No, I think I've crowd- never heard of that, but that was like, wow. You know, you know, it's been around though in other ways. It's been around as support groups for support a, groups, for a yeah. long time. It's a different take on it because now you're actually imparting real education. Mm-hmm. You'll have maybe a nurse practitioner, somebody like that, who's right. leading the group. So it'll be a facilitated discussion, but aimed more toward compliance. Right. And so that's really great. So another thing too, just thinking of you know, population health has really been a big topic here. So one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, we like to look at. You know, healthcare likes to look at the health system starting with the doctor and all the clinicians. But what about getting down into health coaches and community health workers? Right. Because if you really are going to change this, the environmental, um, the environment that people are living within that is affecting their health, you need to understand it. And we're not going to get that from people who have MDs and RNs. Right. Exactly. We're going to get it from people who are trusted. They go to the barber shops. They go to the community centers. They go into these little social clubs ethnic clubs, whatever it might be, into the nooks and crannies that we don't even know exist yet. And I was talking to somebody from Atlanta earlier today who says, you know, if she could just change the admission um, records for 20% of the people that come to the ER, 
she would save millions and millions of right, dollars. Right, right, right. But she doesn't even know where to get to them. I said, right. that's where they are. They're in these places you don't even know right. how to get to. Right. No, that makes total sense. And, and the, the other part about that is that the health coaches and the, the people that are out there, they can actually interact with people before they need a nurse and a doctor. I mean, that's where you want to catch them. Yeah. And that's where you can really, again, you can really impact so many more people. If you just focus on the people that need acute care, man, you're leaving a lot on the table. Yeah. And 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 I, I think it's 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 a great place to be for things that we believe in, like interactive and, and content marketing, because we actually can talk about things that go beyond our services that impact people's lives. If you're a Coke, if you're a Toyota, how do you do that? You know, how do you use something like content marketing to go beyond your own products and services? I mean, it's really hard to do, but we have maybe the biggest opportunity for content given health and wellness. It's almost unlimited. And and who, I mean, research after research shows, who do people trust more for that? Their doctor, right? So you are the expert of this stuff. Uh oh, you, Jim, Jim, oh, I was going to say, Jim's phone has just been absconded with. We have an incident. Yeah. It's I, think, I think the wellness. I, I trust Peggy. That's good. Okay, That's good, 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 good. <laughs> so we're giving dead air here. We're giving dead air right now. We're getting our picture taken by Peggy Blinking Light Kane. And she's taking a picture. There you go. Nice. Thank you, Peggy. So. That's all right. So how do you know Peggy? Oh, I've known. Peggy, how do we know each other? I mean, how many years? Decades? That, she's very focused she's, on she's taking focused. the picture. Peggy, I recognize by the, way, the name. Now, you may not know Peggy. Have Peggy introduce yourself to the audience. Sit in, Peggy. Hi, I'm Peggy Kane from GLC. Hi, Peggy. Thanks nice for joining us. Did I get an email from you? You did. Oh, yes, thank you. You did. We're having a uh, hospitality suite tonight. I think, it's, I think it's like right opposite ours. Is it tonight? Yes, it's tonight up in uh, 1029. Okay. What time is it, though? Uh, 630 to 11. Oh, wow. 630 yes. to 11. We, we are stay up late kind of people. You know what? Have I heard about your deal before? You probably have. I think have. it's very famous. We did it in Chicago the last time we were here. Yes. We are upstairs preparing the room now. Uh, in what way? Well, we're icing a few things down. We might be so. slicing up some sweets Duff. and some treats. Sure. And, uh, you know, festive fall decorations. If you, if you are friends with Peggy on Facebook, you have an inside scoop as to what you're going to see tonight. Right. Oh, well, I'm not, We've unfortunately. Been to, most people that are native Chicagoans will know that when I say that I went to Binnie's, yeah. Beverage Depot, and Eli's Cheesecake they'll want to attend. Ah, okay. So now, you, do you realize that you have just told the entire internet about your party and what room it's in and when it goes to? <laughs> so you could get horror, because really there are hundreds of thousands of people listening right now in the greater Chicago metropolitan area. They could just be storming this hotel tonight. And they could. I hope you have enough things well, ice Chris, down. I thought it was millions. I, I think I need to go. I said in the, in the Chicago area. Uh-huh. I thought the invite said. Yeah. Yes, right, yes, right. well. Well, it's nice it joining fluctuates. you, gentlemen. I, I'm going to get it's back to my booth. Thank you for Fighters stopping in, By the way, Peggy is oh, wearing nice. oh, the new Fitbit tracker, the wrist yep. tracker. Loving it very much. Maybe it's a I lot should. of work. It, it like looks at you all day long. Does it give you like a shock if you don't do what you're supposed to do? It gives you a shock when you do do it. Oh, really? A pleasant yeah. kind so of shock? Yeah, a pleasant kind of shock. Okay. When you meet your goal, it goes, woo! Really? Yeah. You get like a fun little vibration? A, a okay. fun little vibration. So, okay. But you got to work for it. It's a lot. Five miles is a lot of time. You, yes. You, yeah. That's, that's a the, lot. In it a really day. Is, yeah. yeah. You can't, you know, if I sit around and it's three o'clock 
and I've been sitting at the desk all day. I'm no dead. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get in like 2,000 before 10 o'clock and then another 2,000 by noon time. Right. So you have to spread it out all day long. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot every day. It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. But I'm in training for Paris, so that's what I'm for, for where? For a little vacation. Not, I just got back from Paris. Isn't it a wonderful city? It's, it's my second time there and it's my favorite city of all time. So we do lots and lots and lots of walking there. Yes, that's what I'm saying. When because you said then five you can miles, do lots and lots and lots of eating. Yes, there. and it all it all worked out in the end. It all counterbalanced. It does. It, it does. does. <laughs> yeah, Jim did the same thing when he was in Italy. Yes. Walked and ran and ran and ran. Yes. He didn't gain a pound, but nope. Ate and drank a few things. Exactly. A few. A few. A few. Yeah. It okay, happens. guys. Thank you, Peggy. Thanks, Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, I think their I think their event is infamous. Not infamous. Famous. Yeah. It's they, well known. It's reputable. GLC has been an incredible supporter of Shushman for so many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just Peggy's so well known in the community. I, I know I've met her before. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you hadn't met. So well, I no, I had met her, but I couldn't remember from where. Now, Warren, do you know Jim? Hi, Warren. Warren is, a, is an avid podcast listener as well. Fabulous. Yep, we pay him regularly. Oops, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. We wish. Yes. <laughs> So how are you doing, sir? Very good. Very good. So you're still live podcasting here. This is like a marathon for you. It is kind of a... We said it was like the Jerry Lewis telethon. Now, is Adam going to be responsible for, like, cutting and pasting the best of the he best? He has been. He's already got stuff up. Already? Well, I don't know about the podcast. The, so the, are you, is your voice going to be in any of that, Consi- you know, considering that he's just going after the best of the best? I no, mean. that's true. It's going to be a lot of, like, dead air. Like, <laughs> after I speak... I still haven't figured out. He posed a question the other day that I'm still stymied by. How is healthcare like Star Wars? Are you a Star Wars fan? Uh, you know, probably not as much as I should be. Okay. So I'm I am a Star Jim, Wars so. fan, but... Good. Well, my, my son yeah. is uh, offended by that, but uh, but yeah, I never never really got into it that much, but I've enjoyed, enjoyed it when I've watched it. Yeah. Do you have something now for us on that, or do you still expect us to come up with something? No, no, no. I, you know, we had the Star Wars. Yeah, that was. I have a new idea today. Oh, good. Okay, what's that? Yeah. So I wanted to talk about healthcare reform. Oh yes, yes, yes. Healthcare we were reform. We kind of touching on that. So you know, yeah, you're here at Shishmed, and um, one of the great things is there's all these smart people here. And uh, so I not went here out. at the table, but around. No, no, not here at the table. <laughs> uh, with the microphones, not at all. Um, but I went out to dinner with some of these smart people, and uh, they were talking about health care reform, obviously. And um, I thought it was very interesting. This is, I have to attribute this, this was um, Ross Goldberg, um, he has a PR agency. Kevin Ross? Cal- is it? Ross Goldberg. I think I know him, though. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, it seems like health care reform really is, first of all, a moral issue. And he said, there's two key questions. And I thought he was really right on target. So the first key question that we have to answer about health care reform is, is everyone entitled to health care? Right. And that's a really fundamental question that um, you know, we've Nobody- struggled with for a long time. And I think you know, the country's kind of leaning to want to say yes. Yes. But uh, well, we've never had that explicit conversation at a national level, even with everything we went through right. with the explicit. new health care law getting debated and, and passed in Supreme Court. That was never like on the table as, OK, because I think that's true. I mean, in the end, there has to be choices that are made. And are, I don't know if we're willing to make choices either way. Right. I, I, right? Think it hasn't, I think it hasn't happened because we jumped to the solution very quickly. 
You know, we just go right to it. We, yes. Well, how do you jump to a solution without knowing the answer to that question, right? There's fundamental assumptions that both sides are just not right. you know, agreeing on. Right. So if it's supposed to be life, liberty, and health, you know, we probably need to come out and say that. Or right. But I think you're right. I think the country, amendment or whatever it takes. The to, country is leaning in that direction. Yeah. So the but, second question kind of follows along with that, and it was, um, if everyone's entitled to health care, are they all entitled to the same right. level of health care? Right. And that's probably a bit more challenging question. I don't know. I think the first one's more challenging. <laughs> I really do. From conversations I've had with people, that first one is where it usually ends. You can't get past the first one to even get to that second one. Right. If you're within a certain set of people that agree on the first one, then, then you have interesting conversations about the second one. It's also difficult, uh, but... Yeah, that's tough. How would, how would we ever as a country address those questions? Do you think that's even possible in this day I age? don't know. You know, the uh, UK has basically two levels of health care. Right. There's a, the uh, public system, and then if you can't wait you know, for your yep. heart replacement there, then you need the private system and you pay for it. Um, and I think a number of countries kind of follow some of that model. Don't you think we kind of have that here by default and not planned or designed well? I think so, yeah. Right? I would agree. I mean, it, it's, it's, it could be done way better, but that's essentially what... Well, there's definitely two levels of health care yeah. in America. Right. And yeah. um, I actually read a, a thick book <laughs> once a number of years ago that was very good on uh, this topic. It was uh, The Socialization of American Medicine. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the author right offhand, but um, a very good book looking at the history and development of medical care in the United States. Uh, you know, from leeches all the way through, you know, MRI and CAT scan and right. so forth. And one of the key premises was we've always had two levels of health care. Yeah. There's always been uh, health care that uh, people can afford to pay to pay for. And then there's healthcare that's been given away, right? Uh, you know, in a charitable manner, right? And they, they, they aren't usually, they aren't. Nece- you know, there was some basic level of healthcare, but um, they weren't necessarily the same depth and breadth. Those questions are hurting care. my brain yeah. right now. Yeah. They, they hurt my head. It's back to the the conversation we were having a little bit about defining terms, because because right. that first question, if you use words like entitlement, you know. That's going to inflame some people, but maybe words like access, you right? Know, that's a better way to think about it, right? And if we start there, that might be a place to begin that kind of conversation. Yeah. No, I, I find people change their opinions often depending on their life circumstance. <laughs> so I've, I've, no doubt about I have that. friends that have said, you know, no, people are not entitled to health care. If you can't afford it, best of luck to you. And then they have kids, and then one of their kids has something. And all of a sudden, it's it's the other way around, and you go, yeah, well, that's why you got to be able to step outside yourself and look. I'm probably giving away my political tendencies, but you got to look outside your own situation and a imagine what it's like for others. But even imagine, like when I when I hear people now, younger usually people saying they're they're really against the the, the new healthcare law and the mandate or whatever you want to call it because I'm healthy and I don't need health insurance. I just want to go, then sign this piece of paper that says, if I get in a car accident, I don't get care. If you want to do that, I'm all for it. Or if you don't want to wear your helmet on a motorcycle or your seatbelt, 
more power to you. Just sign this piece of paper that says I'm not paying when you get you know head trauma. Right. Right. I mean, just it, it, right. it's interesting that there's this like selfish perspective, and if you just like all you have to do is like look like one step beyond to go. You know, maybe I ought to have a little protection here, or I shouldn't ask other people to to pay for it, which was the original intent of that mandate, right? Which is so fascinating to me. It came from a Republican think tank that basically that was their premise was, you know, the people who are paying are covering people who are not paying. That's not fair. Everybody should pay. But then politics as it is. There you go. There you go. Now I've really given away my political views. (laughs) Well, we're sitting here, what, eight, seven, eight hours away from a shutdown. Yes, on this very topic. We're going to grind the country to a halt just on this topic. How about all the marketing that's been going on around it? With yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just with, you know, with all the um, the exchanges yep. and so you know, some of it's been right. really creative and really interesting, and some of it's just been kind of dull. Right. But now, you know, the, I was looking uh, today. The White House had put out, you know, there's a new website. It makes it even easier to sign up. You just fill out one application and go everywhere. So, so they're thinking about it in a, you know, again, forget politics, but think of thinking about the process. Make it easy. Right. You know, right. One application, not a whole bunch of paperwork. So let's get rid of all that. Let's see where it goes. Did you guys see Saturday Night Live? I didn't. They had the the opening of it was the guy who pretends to be Obama talking about it, and they had various people come up to explain why it's such a good deal. And each time it was just like a disaster, and it was hilarious. And they had the guy from Breaking Bad, if you're a Breaking Bad fan, the young Aaron Paul, Aaron Paul, who said, you know, this happened to a friend of mine who <laughs> got cancer and couldn't afford it, so he didn't know what to do. He did what all of us would do, which was start cooking meth. Which is the story of the, the main character. So it was very funny. Very politically in tune. Are you guys a Breaking Bad fan? Did we already talk but, about this? Uh, we, yes, yes. We, we seem to know that Interval is a Breaking Bad uh, bad. Uh, I know, but now we have, a, we have a huge division at the table because I have now seen the finale. I couldn't oh, watch it last night, but right. I did iTunes. But Robert you has were not. You when that was yeah. on. So, and Robert has not. So now we can't even talk about it amongst people who are fans. So I'm glad that you guys aren't fans because then it would be outnumbered in terms of Chris wanting to. I, I, I let's to put it this share. way: I'm a fan in waiting. My son has okay. watched it um, religiously, and it was I just, should hang out with your son. You should. We could play Auto and watch Breaking Bad. And uh, <laughs> but it's on our list to uh, you know consume in whatever yes. chunks we can. Yeah, that's and that's good. what will happen. There's no, there's no better way. I caught up with the first five seasons in about two months. Because you can watch three. It's like watching a really good movie, and you don't want it to stop. I'm told the intensity level is so high that it's going to take us a lot longer than that. So. It's 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 pretty amazing. Yeah, I yeah, started yeah. in January, and I'm caught up. But it took, you know, eight months to right. get caught up. Well, it's definitely Worth on it. our list. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, is Adam a fan? I don't think he's gotten into it yet. Okay, so this is never really ever going to appear in broadcast media. Right, right. He'll, he'll cut this right out. <laughs> He's probably so tired of hearing me talk about it. I probably brought it up a two dozen times, but that's all right. So we get to we can do whatever we want. That's right. I'll talk about it again. You can't stop me. We got a whole other day of this. That's right. What did you guys think of uh, the general session yesterday in terms of healthcare reform? I didn't see it. I've heard oh, him speak it. before, though. Okay. I thought it was an interesting concept to uh, be posting competitive prices. Um, and let the market kind of uh, steer, uh, lower those price points by making that information freely available. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the term he applied to that. 
Well, th- that happened. Reference that was supposed pricing. to happen in Minnesota. It was reference pricing. Reference pricing. Yeah. Yes. yeah. The thing yeah. is, though, I, I think obviously pricing is a missing piece of our puzzle right now. But I think there's there's a little bit of an exaggeration of the impact on it. Because what I hear some people saying is, once we have that, everything else goes away and it's all about pricing. And, and there's no market that that is the case where pricing is the only thing. And I would argue that in healthcare, it's probably one of the least cost-impacted industries. Because if you're going to spend, where else are you going to go, money is no object, but right. my mom's surgery, right? Certainly for commodity or retail, it will matter, but you still are going to care about the experience and convenience and quality and all those things. It's never going to be just about price, do you think? So do we need to marry that reference pricing information with quality yes. information? So somehow we still make missing it? part of the data. Yes. I would argue that quality, the quality information, if you look, at, I think if you look at what people use to make decisions, it's not the quality, the quality data. You know, it's really the experience because really people will just want to know, are you going to kill me or are you going to hurt me? You know? I agree. And if those two things are off the table, they're going to assume, because because when you really look at the difference between high quality and low quality, quality is really tight. It's probably like it's a bell curve, tight, right? It's got to right? be. So, you know, you're talking about very small amounts of change to go from top to bottom. On the other hand, that experience is really what it's all about. And what we talked about earlier, the communication and the ability to, to really understand what's going to happen to me and to involve my family and to listen to me, those are all really important things. Yeah. But do you but think that something people decide you choose in in uh, front of the experience though I mean does that drive their decision I don't think I don't think quality metrics or uh, you know the, the rankings online I mean it might help if you're a number one hospital but ultimately it comes down to what is anybody in your circle who has an MD and RN or something like that after their name or works in a, a hospital or a doctor's office what do they say what do they recommend because you're going to go with that. That's going to very much outweigh those other things. Somebody was, mentioned that yesterday. They said they went to the cardiologist who recommended four different places to get a, some kind of scan. And somebody said, well, don't you need more information? It's like, what more quality input do I need than my own cardiologist? I mean, I'm not going to go research these places. How am I going to discern what's better than what's not? And so, yeah, I think there is. I think that's that's true. So, so Warren, back to the price, though. I, I think you know. I think the. I think what is going to change that potentially is you know we have to change paint the way we pay. So once we do that, then we can have that price, um, th- that price discussion. But the other thing that's driving that are the insurance plans, and more and more people are now going to those very high deductible plans. Yeah. And when you have that, then price becomes important. So you, if you're having elective surgery, you're absolutely going to shop See, that but around. Here's the thing. I, I still I go back and forth on that too. And in my example, of that is my son. So high deductible plan on my kids, $8,000 before anything kicks in, right? My son breaks his wrist. We go to the the orthopedist. It's an urgent deal. We go to the closest orthopedist. No time to research in that case. But he says he can fix it without doing surgery. He can just put a brace on or whatever. And so first of all, in a normal situation, I would know enough to say, well, I don't know if that's the right course of action. What's the cost of that? I'm not going to question him in that situation, right? So it doesn't work. And he has to do it again. And he doesn't work again, so then he has to do surgery. Well, I can tell you that that $8,000 deductible was blown immediately. So right. even even with an $8,000 deductible, some kind of surgery, it doesn't matter where I go. Right. right? Now, if we're talking about an MRI, if we're talking about something that's hundreds of dollars, then absolutely. But I think it's so... 
there's nothing that's black and white about it. It's very complex. So with Chris, back to your example that you just brought up, though. So the wrist, you have a problem with the wrist. They try one thing, it doesn't work. The second thing, it doesn't work. Third thing, they have to. You know, healthcare really should be, you know, you go in and you fix it. And if it didn't work, the rest is on you, on the, on the healthcare provider. You Do know? you think it's so? That's where it should be. You know, oh, you I bring, don't know. So back to your car analogy. If you bring your car in and they say, you know, we're going to fix the timing belt and it's not working... Don't you except I never get a dealer to except for the differences <laughs> a, a like car a car is no, but you a, would expect it right you would but okay. yeah a car shouldn't have the variables that the human body has or the environment has I mean I don't think we'll ever get to a place where there's a guarantee if you make a mistake if he makes a mistake and right. breaks another That's bone good. in doing it yes but but we're not in a place where where all where most medical procedures are scientific enough where they go 100% certainty this is how it works. Oh, it didn't? It's on us. No, They don't and, know. And I'm not even saying that necessarily, but you know, we're moving to a world where more and more procedures are in the never yeah. event. You're right. Okay? So that list is only going to grow. So eventually you'll get to a place where the voices will be so loud that say, you know, we're going to come in, we're going to pay you a price, and you're going to fix it. Regardless of how it, it, you fix it or how yeah, long it takes or right. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we circle back to the question that kind of started us off here. Um, is crowdsourcing part of the answer, though? I think so. To, to You know, because we can't... We seem to have gone through all this policy gyrations. Maybe we just throw it out there and uh, let the market figure it out with enough data that people can... From a clinical standpoint, do you mean, or do you mean from even a brand standpoint? Uh, I mean from a purchasing standpoint, where the consumer is uh, driving the decision um, based on just, you know, big data sets and kind of a crowdsourcing approach to it. Maybe. You know, I I go back and forth on it. I don't, you know, unless you have a medical degree, how do you know? It's like retirement. This is my analogy or metaphor or whatever, right? Most people are not qualified or have enough time to become qualified to know how to invest properly, right? The markets change all the time. Regulations change all the time. Tax implications change all the time. You need a professional who knows that industry to help you figure out the best thing to do. I think it's no different for healthcare, right? How do I know the difference in quality, right? And even if I did understand five stars versus three stars, right? Well, what if this doctor is four months for a wait and this doctor is one month for a wait? Now, how do I evaluate the trade-offs there? Now throw in price. Now throw in, you know, experience. You need, I think you're going to have to have somebody that understands that side of it to translate it for the consumer because most of us... And we don't have those, uh, you know, there's some people trying to move into that market space, like health grades and so forth, but it's it's not a mature market yet. No, no. I did a business plan on this for my, my... my bachelor or my master's like five years ago and everybody's like you should do this i'm like there's no way <laughs> like charles schwab that's basically what it is like charles schwab for healthcare. you pay 200 dollars for a knee job and that person helps you figure out here are the doctors here's how close they are what what do you care about warren it's different than jim jim may prioritize money you may prioritize wait time and then then who the selection is would vary so it's so complex so variable so, so don't we don't we have a vision of a world that where you don't really have to worry about the money? I mean, this is a vision, right? Yeah. World where we don't worry about the money, and I'm thinking about it on the provider side, because ultimately, thanks, Warren. That, that if you're going to have population or accountable care and population health, so you're going to get one pool of money for a pool of patients, you're going to have to take care of them no matter what happens. Right. So therefore, 
it's up to you to keep the price down, the patients aren't necessarily going to even care about that because you have to take care of them. Yeah, that could be. I, you know, that's a simplified version of it. Of right. Yeah, Jim, I think, you know, jumping back to what we were talking about with quality, I think um, it goes back to what you were talking about in terms of making that easy to understand and how do we communicate because I think quality is important. But, I mean, if you look at even on a lot of hospital websites, their information on quality, the terms and understanding that is... I mean, seriously. Well, and it's also you know. selective. Right, right. Right? You know, we did awesome in health grades in these four areas. And funny, the other 24 areas aren't up there. Right. You know, so it's, we want to be transparent where we look good. Otherwise, you know, yeah. opaque is better for us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody likes to talk about transparency, and I think they really want to get there. But somebody has to go out there and just be that absolute bold leader. Right. They have to do it on the quality metrics and putting everything out there. They have to do it, what I was talking about, just getting into those nooks and crannies with the community health workers. Right. Somebody's got to do it. There's no ROI on that yet. Right, right, but right. But there will be. Yeah. And, but somebody's got to take the lead and try it, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Right. That's for sure. Man, I'm exhausted. This is a really deep convo. You really brought it, Jim. Yeah, thanks. You brought it. (laughs) Holy cow. I I enjoy your show. I've been listening for quite a while, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be part of it. Yeah, we're glad you could stop by. Are you going to come to the branding at the bar tonight? I'm going to do Maybe you're going to try, right? I'm going to do my very best to get there. you have to. We'll invite your son. Tell him to fly in from Philly. (laughs) You know, he probably would uh, jump on it if he could. (laughs) I think he's got classes, right? Uh, I suppose. (laughs) I suppose school comes first. All right, well, I think we're at the end of our session, aren't we? We are, yeah. Almost. Should we just wrap it up? Are we supposed to be done at 4? Well, we're wrapping it up. Yeah. you got to go with what you feel. Go with your gut. We're going with our gut. So we're going to wrap it up with Jim Retray. Jim, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. And uh, Robert Prevo. And this is Chris Bevelo for the end of session 2, day 2, Shushman 13. And Jackie! Jackie Mataco. <laughs> Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Ambassadors Podcast. Talk to you in about an hour. See you.